Hey there, and welcome to Jenny and Paul Sell Out, episode number nine, number nine, number nine. This is the podcast where culture matters and selling out doesn't. My name's Paul Riespindel. I'm one half of the sellout team, Jenny Benevento. We'll be here in just a moment along with our guest for this episode, Cyrus Perret who is the world's greatest living electric guitarist. And on this episode, we'll be considering what it means to be a musician and an artist in this day and age, especially an artist who really wants to be engaged in their art full-time, even if what you do isn't strictly in the mainstream. It's a great conversation, and we think you'll enjoy it. So, hey, you've come this far. Keep listening. So, hello and welcome, Jenny. Hello, Paul. And and welcome, Cyrus Perret. Hello, Cyrus Perret. Uh, he's the world's greatest living electric guitarist. Is, is that is the correct tagline? Is that the That's correct, correct introduction, Cyrus? Yes. Yes, um, absolutely. And, uh, but a musician uh, and composer, an instrumentalist, multi-instrumentalist. So, Cyrus, um, I've known you for uh, quite a few years now, and and you are a musician and and composer. Um, And the reason I wanted you to be on the program is because I think that, um, as I've known you in the last few years, you've been been trying to do something with with your music in terms of um, working with other musicians and and create um, a space if you will, for uh, musicians to be creative together and and to play in sort of an op- improvisational kind of way, but th- that I think is a little different um, from what people normally think about. And I think because you've also been really focused on people, and that's anybody making music, rather than w- 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 there's been this constant focus on being consumers of music, I think. So I, I don't know if if that's a lead-in that you can tell us a little bit about what it is you're, you're trying to do as, as a musician. Absolutely. I mean, you're, you're definitely right with this idea of um, you know, improvisation, um, you know, really uh, being at the heart of um, many of my musical projects. Um, you know, not even from, like, just an actual performance standpoint. I mean... So many of the musical threads that I follow uh, are really just almost just like hunches or intuition. Um, so I don't necessarily know, like I'm not necessarily working from a master plan <laughs> or there's no, no, no specific manifesto um, or, you know, a, a series of directives that I'm looking to really execute um, with my kind of, I don't know, musical life. But... Um, Really, for a number of years now, um, I have been drawn kind of out of the more typical um, scenarios uh, where music is made, performed, recorded. Um, I felt myself kind of pulled um, into different directions. Uh, They're not really, I suppose, new directions in music in general, Um, but... I'm, I find myself, that, you know, looking for, um, you know, performance opportunities, um, kind of outside of the concert hall, mm-hmm. outside of the, the the club or the bar, um, and and you're right, and and not necessarily with um, people who would consider themselves to be professional musicians, um, 
and I, I mean, I think that's been a really natural progression for me. Um, really trying to, you know, remember what it was that initially kind of got me into music, and you know, remembering that that is uh, something that I don't want to necessarily move away from. So why don't we talk a little bit about what got you into musician and made you want to be a musician in the first place? Well, sure. Uh, it was definitely um, an avenue for self-expression that just seemed to fit with my personality. And, I mean, it was a way to... It was a wonderful context to, to make friends. Um, you know, it was a, an activity that, um, you know, we get together with folks... Uh, and you know we would make music, we would play songs, we would make our own songs. Um, I mean, kind of you know around the late you know middle school um, years. And I mean, thinking back about it now, there was a real tra- kind of transition from something like video games um, into you know kind of getting together um, to work on these musical projects and. Um, I mean, I was literally drawn into, I mean, the reason why I play, like, started playing electric guitar is because I wanted to become friends with somebody who played the electric guitar. And so that's kind of what... So it was the quickest route yeah, to, to, to be friends with someone who played guitar. Sure. <laughs> so it seems like from the very beginning then, there, there's, a, there's a definite social element then and not, not merely woodshedding in your, um, in, in your basement. Uh, yes, definitely. But I, I mean, the the two did kind of go together. I mean, as soon as I had any sort of, I mean, you know, self defined success on the instrument, like wow, I can play this chord, wow, I can play this song or part of this song, or play along with this song, you know, on the radio, um, I was immediately drawn to continue exploring, um, you know, in kind of a, a step at a time uh, fashion. Um, that definitely informed my early kind of, you know, uh, learning process on the guitar. And you did you find it easy to find other people to play with at that point as a, as a teenager? For sure. I mean, the guitar was was kind of its own uh, uh, publicity machine. You know, uh, anytime you played guitar in front of other people, uh, people would be you know interested or excited. Wow, you, know, you have a guitar. Um, can you play this? Can you do that? Can I play it? How does it work? Um, you know, that was uh, that scenario definitely played out um, multiple times. And but I think that a lot of people never get up and play in front of other people. At least you know maybe maybe in other cultures where sort of this communal sitting around and playing music together is more common. But I think um, a lot of um, North Americans that doesn't happen often for somebody. Totally, I think that that's. I think that that's definitely the case. Um, I mean, I, I will say, though, that the stakes in any of these kind of musical get-togethers never seemed so high. Um, there were, I can often re- remember times when just some kid from the neighborhood would come by and, you know, just kind of start banging on something or other. Um, I mean, and again, you know, this, I don't know if it's necessarily a, a generalizable um, you know, example, but this is, I de- it definitely, you know, I was in a particular situation where the majority of the people that I came into contact with played some sort of instrument, rock band, um, orchestra, or otherwise. And it was, you know, a natural part of um, our particular, you know, Chicago suburban um, late 80s, early 90s 
um, experience. And now that's one of the things that you and I have talked about in a more recent past is, is kind of how now as, you know, as an adult, it seems to be harder to, to find that in, in that you, you've often sometimes had difficulty finding other musicians willing to kind of collaborate in such a loose kind of fashion. Yeah. And it, I mean, and again, it's really, you know, I have to, um, you know, lay the disclaimer out there that it, all of these kind of feelings are, are just coming from my own experience. I don't know that I can, you know, necessarily make an across the board, um, uh, uh, call on the situation. However, I mean, I definitely feel like I'm out there and the information that I'm getting from these encounters, um, is valid. Um, but yeah, I think, um, that the, I mean, this is, uh, you know, I'll step back and I'll kind of try and, and paint with the, some broad strokes here for a second. Um, but um, growing up as a teenager, excited in punk, uh, about punk rock, um, you know, living in a neighborhood where um, other kids were playing punk rock music, um, you know, I was very much interested in the history of this particular music and would, you know, scour the television for any sort of, you know, documentary videos or, you know, I was definitely up with the, the VCR, you know, taping things off the television, um, trying to suss out any elements from the history of this music that I could. Um, and the thing that kept coming up time and again was, you know, in the late 70s, early 80s, um, people who were interested in playing music were... Um, you know, upset or fed up with what they saw as a traditional kind of, um, you know, you work your way up the ladder, um, you develop a sort of, you know, uh, skill on the instrument, and then, you know, when you finish that journey, you're suddenly, I don't know, a group like Genesis or, I don't know, Yes, and then you, you, you present this technical proficiency in your, in your performances, um, Everything that I was reading about and, and, and watching at the time about punk rock music, um, those folks were saying that they were wanting to rebel against that mm -hmm. sort of you know you, linear process. You start at the beginning, you put in all the work, and at the end, then you're yes. Um, <laughs> and 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 I feel like that that definitely informed um, you know my uh, my starting out on the guitar, I mean, and especially after my experience learning um, violin, which was very much, I mean, violin was my first instrument, and that was my process, um, was, again, you know, you start at the beginning, you work through the steps, and then at the end, you know, you have a level of technical proficiency that you can then use in an orchestra, in a solo context, whatever. Um, so with all of that said, I start to see a similar thing happening now. I mean, and again, this is just through my own eyes. Mm -hmm. But when you're looking at something like, um, you know, when I look at something like uh, a guitar hero um, or a rock band, um, what I'm reading from that is, um, you know, the desire to play the song in the right way. Um, the song is um, is already is being presented to you with the correct all of you know situated in in whatever the correct um, guise of uh, a, a viable recording a CD record whatever it, it has all of those trappings and then you sort of complete that puzzle. 
So not not doing your own sort of not creating yourself. Well, I mean, I believe that there's definitely a lot of, of creation that's involved there, uh, even in playing, you know, the the sort of the, the video games. Um, but the 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 palette that is that you're working with is all of these like finished sounds that have have been all been engineered and um, in such a way that you know when you are participating in the game. Uh, the final result, like your final sound, um, is comparable to what you would hear on a professional album. You don't get points for doing something sort of cool, <laughs> right? Like a cool, weird True. cover thing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Nor, or, nor do you get necessarily to, uh, I mean, like you would with uh, an actual electric guitar, get to, I guess, tweak the particular sound of the guitar in a way that you would choose. I guess I wonder, I mean, as a person who... Uh, um, I did not have that musical background growing up, um, and in high school I, I started playing the drums and going to drum lessons. Um, but I would say that, I mean, until I was 16, I didn't know anything about how to read music at all. Um, and still, to this day, probably don't know very much about it. Um, I, and I do, I have played rock band a bit. I, I think I wonder how much, from your, from your perspective, um, those seem like comparable things. Like from my perspective, it seems so unapproachable to start to pick up an instrument because learning all of that sort of theory, not really theory, but like knowing all of that stuff seems so much harder than, um, you know, hitting a few buttons on a, on a, a video game. Well, totally. Right. I definitely, I definitely <laughs> would agree with that. And yeah. unapproachably hard. I mean, especially as an adult. Um, I mean, in my experience um, with some of my kind of adult learners in in private lessons who are really starting from with any other instrument um, previously I mean I I would say that there's uh, it's kind of a mixed bag I mean I think that um, part of the uh, you know part of the purpose of there being like a canon of there being like a uh, Technique, or you know, any sort of set of, of music theory, and it you know, it's to uh, to um, confer like I don't know, esteem or you know, props or <laughs> uh, I mean, you get something from that. It's like, wow, look, I did this. Like, mm-hmm. you know, this is what I can do. It, it means that I put in all this time. I can play smoke on the water. Exactly. <laughs> but um, I mean, the other side to that is, I mean, the if you plug the electric guitar in and you strum the strings, I mean, you're playing it. And yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess, I guess that is the best thing about coming of age in that period of time, or with punk rock as your as your sort of aesthetic, because I think it's so unapproachably difficult for a lot of people because they think I have to write, I have to play a whole song as opposed to like, yeah, yeah. You just pick it up and you know, it's there's actually a bonus in not knowing how to play this thing. Yeah, right, I mean, right. I, I struggle with that a lot as a, as a guitarist. Um, I mean, I, I did band, you know, in, in throughout my my schooling, um, playing valve instruments, trumpets, baritones, and, and, and similar. Um, so, you know, certainly learned it from that standpoint. And I never really applied myself particularly well, so I never really excelled. But I was always competent. And then I picked up the electric guitar somewhere around age, yeah, probably 15, 16. Um, and really just started dicking around with it 
um, with no particular approach in mind. I mean, I really liked the sound. I was really into. I'd really gotten into metal at that point. So I really wanted to emulate a lot of what I heard, and but it, I was really naive to the extent to which I didn't even I didn't even understand what chords were. Because I, I, when you you learn this instrument, it only plays one note at a time. <laughs> right, I can play in C because I right. can play the drums. <laughs> right, you know, you learn one note at a time. So this idea that the, oh, they get that sound because they're playing two or three or four notes simultaneously was sort of a revelation to me when trying to duplicate Metallica or Anthrax. I'm like, why it never sounds as good? It never sounds as full. Um, so as a starting point, but it also immediately kind of at the same time got into uh the uh, the possibilities of improvisation and the possibilities of just figuring out what kind of sounds I could wrench out of the machine out of the system the you know the guitar and the amp and whatever pedals I might have picked up that I was I kind of became less interested in in playing songs um so you know it, it, although you know all I knew from my playing a trumpet or a cornet was learn the music, and I never became, I never improvised on that. I don't, I don't know, Cyrus, if if you found people who in in sort of one musical context or one instrument context, there they came up in that the, the, the traditional uh, system of learning and mastering the music that is, and in another context, because maybe they never went through that system, they're much freer in their approach. Uh, I mean, yes, I I have. I have come into contact with with folks like that. Um, I mean, there were there were definitely a number of folks, um, you know, in in at the I went to the University of Illinois um, for you know my music studies, um, and there were a number of folks that I would come into contact there who um, were studying. They were instrumentalists, and they were studying a particular instrument. For I mean, that was their focus of their education. And then there would be some other instrument that they. Yeah, they would just have for um, messing around on. It was really interesting to see um, the change from, again, like a really measured, I mean, uh, folks who are studying an instrument in a performance program and pursuing a performance degree, the attention to detail uh, that they put into it is really Mm -hmm. mind-boggling. But then to see the flip side of that, the... The, the freedom of exploration. I mean, I will, however, say, though, that I don't know that they ever saw the kind of exploratory music that they were making as having the same uh, level of validity in their eyes as hmm. kind of their main focus uh, music. Another person, however, though, that comes to mind uh, is um, my wife, Megan. And I mean, her um, instrumental background was in flute. And she... Um, played the flute for a number of years through um, grade school and high school, and participated, you know, outside of kind of. The realm of music that's available to you know a young person um, outside of the uh, public school, so um, solo and ensemble competitions. Um, uh, she performed. There was like a youth symphony. These sorts of things. And it's always interesting for me to hear uh, about um, her learning the flute in contrast to um, instruments that she's learning now, um, like guitar or especially drums. Um, you know, and I don't have any sort of wind background at all, so I'm I'm very much uh, you know uh, exploring this instrument kind of you know on my own and. Um, 
I mean, yeah, very much this, you know, her take on it is that um, she was given basically um, a legend, like a key to a map about what, how to arrange the fingers to produce the particular note that was required at the time. Mm-hmm. And then there was never any talk about, like, why. <laughs> or that there might be another way to do it. Sure. Oh, well, absolutely. Or, yeah, I mean, you know, nothing about, like, well, the actual pipe that you're blowing into needs to be this particular length to make that sound. Right. And that's why the fingers are arranged in this way. Um, or that, the, you know, we have to temper the sound of the flute in order to make it match the tonality of an instrument like the piano, which is um, tuned in a different, slightly different way than the flute. You know, all these sorts of things. And, you know, that, as I went through my um, music education in college, you know, these were continually um, topics that she, that she as a flute player um, was, you know, found really, you know, enlightening because it was never, uh, never came across her, I don't know, her plate, so mm-hmm. to speak. Um, I, what you're saying, I mean, my experience is I know a lot of people who teach sort of crafting classes and it sounds really similar. Like they'll teach people how to make a certain paper craft and, um, well, they'll say, you know, you can put this kind of thing on it or you can cut it this way. And people actually are like, I just want to know how to make exactly the thing that you have as your example. No one wants to make like their own version of that, or no one wants to learn these skills to make something like that they thought of or and in sewing I think this is the same way I know people who teach sewing and it's like no I want to learn how to make that skirt that is is the example like I don't I don't really care about figuring out my own pattern or and I wonder how much of that is I mean because it sounds so similar I wonder how much of that is like the reasoning of why you're taking a class as an adult especially um or and how much of it is like education centered versus learner centered you know what I'm saying like is it because the learners come to that saying, like, I just want to know how to play this flute song. I don't really care about the theory. If I cared about theory, I'd enroll in some master's degree program, you know? Totally, totally. I've been nodding my head the, <laughs> the whole time. I mean, your your analogy to, uh, I think, learning uh, craft is definitely right on point. Um, I, I don't, I mean, I can, I can venture some guesses as to why, I mean, in my experience, like, as to why folks react that way, I, I don't know for sure exactly what it is. Um, I mean, I think that as we get older, um, yeah, and, and as we're no longer, no longer children, um, we, uh, you know, we learn right and wrong. Um, you know, we learn um, what it's like to be uh, praised and what it's like to be criticized. And... I feel like it's possible that adults may just feel way more exposed. I mean, perhaps like, I mean, I can remember that a certain group of students who they all worked in an office and, you know, the entire day they were required to, um, you know, meet, um, well, meet the, their expectations you know, exactly on time, you know, uh, to the letter. And it was really difficult, I think, to, to put aside kind of being in that mind space for so much of their their day-to-day life and um, be open to, I mean, really um, to themselves, um, to their own process of, of exploring, um, being wrong. I mean, these are things I think that, that, that are, are hard for us um, in general. 
but yeah, yeah I, I agree. I'm, I mean, I think I wanted I, to. Yeah. Sorry, go sorry, ahead. Paul, I'm cutting you off. That's okay. Uh, you go, I'm cutting just, you off. Uh, add one additional <laughs> additional point about the. Um, you know, I'm coming in. I want to learn this song, and then I'm done. Um, I mean, that's totally possible to do with an instrument as well. I mean, in my experience, in instruments and craft, um, you might not quite get there if that's what you're looking to do. But it's totally possible. Well, and I, in fact, I remember as a kid, that's how, like, all keyboards came. You know, like, with that thing to teach you how to play, like, that one demo song. <laughs> so that you know how to play a song. Right, which is the only reason I know how to play... Uh, anything on a keyboard. Yeah. But I, I think you tapped into something there, Cyrus, in, in talking about the, that, the fear, right? Um, and, and as an adult, especially, the fear of doing it wrong. Right. You know, I think that's what actually stops a lot of people from trying new things, period, as adults. Or, like, not appearing competent. And I feel yeah. like with guitar, I think that's an especially... Um, I mean, I can see... I think that applies to all of life, but I think... I mean, it seems like something that, you know, everyone I know who plays guitar now has been playing it for 10 to 15 years. So they feel like they have to be super competent, right? <laughs> that sounds like me. And yeah, and I think, or also, I mean, from a lady point of view, um, there's no lady who has been to college who hasn't been subject to a terrible acoustic guitar playing while trying to date a, a, a dude. That's mm-hmm. just, and so like, I think there's this idea of like, oh, it's another guy playing a guitar. <sighs> I have to listen to before we can make out, you know, or, you know, just, I think you've been subjected throughout your life, especially if you've been to college, uh, so many sort of terrible, like noodlings that you were not a part of that. Yeah. I think you don't want to be that guy too. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you have an example of that guy Mm -hmm. and as an adult, you probably have an example of that guy in every facet of your life. You know, like, I don't want to be the person who's learning how to do whatever because I, I look like an ass. I look like a tourist. Yeah, and at the other side, though, I mean, there, it, 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 it's sort of also, um, it's about finding that proper venue in place. I mean, and not, not that there is one or whatever, so much as that um, for who you are and what you do, there are there are probably people who would appreciate it. And, and sometimes where maybe even any one of us is too inhibited, I would say that's certainly been true for me, to even try, right, right to even try and find that place or those people where that is something where it will be appreciated or it'll be maybe a more about with other musicians about the interaction right rather than worrying about someone sitting there and judging you because um you haven't been able to in this improvisation you clearly didn't figure out what key we were in and you were all over the place <laughs> right or something like that and now everyone hates you and now, <laughs> right that in your own head right oh right, exactly. I, just, I didn't realize we were this is this is e flat uh major uh, uh oh okay uh, I, I see i'm that guy who can't figure it out and and i think that stops people from even trying right yeah, I mean, definitely as somebody who, you know, I, I, I will admit, I've definitely been a noodler, but, you know, I've also been noodled. <laughs> and so I, I, I feel you on that one. Um, and I have, I mean, I, like, two thoughts come to mind, um, which, I mean, and Paul already um, spoke to one of them, which is um, exactly is the, the context. I mean, the particular, um, there might not have been a match between, um, you know, the particular music impulse that, you know, the, the person had at the moment, um, I don't know, that led them to, um, you know, noodle or, um, I'm not really sure how else to describe it, but I mean, definitely I'm trying to, Jenny, I'm trying to 
recapture kind of you totally nailed that image um, <laughs> which I'm, I'm, I'm now just hoping to you know, insert into my comment by just calling up you know calling a, by just calling attention to it but um, but but yeah I mean but I would I would say though that 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 person or those those folks I mean they're they are finding uh, an avenue of expression for something in them. And true, I mean, it may, it may not be necessarily genuine, and it may not necessarily be, I don't know, you know, the most pleasing for all of us to listen to, I mean, uh, either. Um, and, I mean, for me, though, now, at this stage of, of my life, like, I feel like I can, you know, if it's really something that um, I'm not excited to support, then I, I will walk away from it, but... <laughs> I mean, I mean, but on the other, but on the other, I will still, you know, to me, it's still, wow, this person, you know, they're finding a voice for their expression, and I, I do see some value in that. Again, like, you know, I'm not necessarily saying that the best context for all music is, you know, um, when you've invited you're... a lady back to your bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> well, sure. I mean, that that can be that can be a difficult, you know, context for music. Um, you know, maybe, maybe the, that person is better suited to, um, you know, exploring that music on their own, or I'm not even sure what the best uh, context would be. I mean, I think that, however, that the, um, I mean, the desire, the general desire that is kind of pushed on us by the culture to, you know, want to gain, um, you know, a level of... Uh, uh, I don't know, acceptance or validation from being able to, I don't know, play a song well, a well-known song, and be able to play it well. I mean, that, I think that that is a, maybe a, a, a larger problem that the noodler is running into. Um, Goals as a focus. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's interesting, though. I, I think the other problem the noodler runs into is is sort of, it's an insight about improvisation that I learned, and I think I, I knew in some way, um, just I, I learned from, from being into improvised music, but uh, a mutual friend of Cyrus and mine, his name is Jason Finkelman, and he is a well-accomplished improvisational musician. Um, and, you know, and when he expressed it to me, it was, it's all about listening, right? And in, in an ensemble of any sort, it's about listening to what everyone is doing, finding spaces. And so I think that uh, probably especially you know if you're if you're not used to playing with people and you're all of a sudden excited to be able to do this there's almost this in, this need to just go nuts and and to just you know do the Keith Emerson 20 minute solo right and just go nuts on your instrument showing off every lick you have and everything you have as opposed Prince to the Beatles uh tribute have you seen that video No I haven't There's there's like Every guitarist from like the last hundred <laughs> right, years, on. and then he just like blows right. everyone out, and then it's like three minutes of Prince playing guitar. Exactly. Yeah. 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 It, it, there's, there's that that sense that you need to do that, or you feel the need to 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 do that, and, and even maybe that noodler in the in the bedroom isn't really paying attention to that audience of one and trying to, you know, and trying to ha and, and so is, is turning this into a recital rather than an interaction, right? Trying to show off rather than say, Oh, is this person, 
you know, and it's complicated by the fact that if it's a first date or something, you're, <laughs> the, the audience of one is going to try and be nice and maybe not sure. express as genuinely the "Will you just cut it out and kiss me," you know. But <laughs> but but with a bunch of other uh, musicians, they're probably not going to say that to you. Just right. cut it out and kiss me, right? Uh, well, it depends. It depends would be on the great though. It would be great. Yeah, I mean, that's, cr- that's true. It could be very good. Um, but I think that that's part of it is because I think. You know the kind of music that that I know you to play, Cyrus. When you're working with other people, it is about listening. It's about improvisation, and it's about it's about turning this musical moment into an interaction rather than um, simply a performance. Is that does that capture it at all? Yeah, totally, totally. I will I will, however, say though that sometimes the best improvisations are not really the most interesting to listen to. I mean, it's not really the most. <laughs> it's not really. It's not really the best. Um, you're enjoying it, but <laughs> yeah, I think that I mean I think that that um, you know that that could be that could definitely be um, you know, the the result I suppose you know when you're spending so much time listening, spending so much time um, you know trying to um, I mean really participate in something akin to a musical conversation with two, three, four, five, I don't know, a hundred other people. Um, that attention is focused amongst those who are playing, and I mean, it can definitely leave out folks who are there um, who are not playing. Sure, or are there, you know, for whatever a reason that's brought them there. Uh, so I think that there's always, I mean, it's always it's a compromise. I mean, and it's something that has to be balanced. I think in order for it to be, uh, if it's going to be a performance. I think that, you know, that there are other elements that have to be brought in there. Well, earlier you said um, something about how you find it personally hard to find people who are willing to do that noodling. And I wonder, um, just like you said, I mean, in the conversation where I just learned how to speak English a week ago, I don't want to participate in a lot of conversations with fluent English speakers, which is equally stupid because I can learn something from that. I wonder if in the same way, the fact that you are a professional musician makes people a little off-put in the idea of um, professionalism, and, and I think especially in music, how how difficult people think it is to be a professional musician, that you must be so great that like, and, and you bill yourself as pretty great. Um, <laughs> maybe it's that professionalism that, that people are frightened of? Well, I think that again. I mean, uh, being uh, trying to you know trying to be a professional musician is such. I mean, in this country especially, it's you're walking such a tightrope um, between. I mean, on, on either sides of that, you know, uh, line are the the band the you know the the band that, that plays exclusively covers. Um, you know, a working or you know some sort of a working musician who's, who's working. You know, five, six, seven nights a week, not playing original, um, original music. Um, you know, hired for any sort of um, number of uh, reasons, either performance in a restaurant, maybe for an event or wedding. Um, I mean, and that that is one uh, avenue or one connotation that the, the you know, uh, a professional musician may have. I mean, and then there's the whole other side of it where, um, you know, you are amongst folks who are, have music as one of their hobbies, uh, which is, you know, then you're in, in a scenario where 
the tools and the equipment and in many cases the output is very similar um, to what somebody who would consider themselves to be a professional um, may come up with. I mean, especially with um, all of the wealth of um, recording technology that's available to everybody very democratically these days. Uh, so, um, I mean, it, it becomes super difficult to kind of, I mean, I have to call myself a professional musician because I want to make music. Um, that's really not the term that I would choose for myself. Um, so, it, and, it, and you say you need to call yourself that because when you're going, when you want to interact with other people or you want to play a gig or something, if you if you do not fit yourself into that mold one way or another, it's difficult for for to be taken seriously. Yes, for gigs, for any sort of um, artistic pr- presentation or performance. I mean, those folks they're looking for somebody who can demonstrate, you know, a level of. Uh, I guess ultimately, it's a level of safety. Um, <laughs> So, so that they can have, they can be sure that the person, you know, that I'm going to come in, I'm going to do a musical performance for them, and then, you know, that's what I'm going to actually do. That I'm not going to just, um, I mean, I don't know, come in and you play a vacuum cleaner through a saxophone or something of that, you know, equivalent nature. Even if I have like sounds of a vacuum cleaner saxophone, um, vacuum cleaner saxophones, my new band. <laughs> <laughs> I've actually seen that. <laughs> That's happened. Um, but I mean, yeah, having to having to um, you know present yourself with a certain level of professionalism is pretty standard. Um, you know, to get through many doors um, that music is performed in. On the other hand, I mean, there are many other um, scenarios, sets, and settings for music um, that do not require that sort of uh, you know labeling oneself as a professional um we but yeah i mean it's a it's not necessarily it's not like i, I have to do it you know, folks wouldn't want to take lessons from somebody who didn't call themselves a professional even if i was able to demonstrate my you know um uh musical education and background and etc I mean, if i'm not professional i wouldn't have I wouldn't be able to do that. So you don't. The, so having several degrees in music wouldn't. You don't think that people would take lessons from you? I think that it, I mean that's part of the whole kind of packaging of a musician in such a way that makes certain mus- musical possibilities open to them. Um, I'm trying to think of another good analogy here. Um, you know, you're you're not going to you're even if somebody, um, you know, has a lot of, of individual experience, let's say, um, as a plumber, like they're not going to get, you know, whatever they, they grew, they grew up, they lived in an old house and, you know, the plumbing was always terrible. So they got really good at, at dealing with the plumbing in the house. Um, it's going to be really, even if that person has a lot of knowledge, they were really interested in it. They, I don't know, they went to the library, you know, they got all the old books, they figured out their, they, they knew their plumbing. They're not really going to get hired as a, a head of maintenance, like in a building or something like that. Um, you have to be able to demonstrate a certain level of credential. Um, I mean, and I'll say that there are lots of people who um, have musical education, have music background. I mean, we can really get into kind of the professionalization of music education if we want to. Um, I'd be happy to talk about that too. Um, but it, it's <laughs> it's very difficult and I, and I never understand exactly where like what the sweet spot is 
for you know having a uh, enough of a you know uh, university scholarly music background but not so much that you're that you're you're square <laughs> right and, you know okay you know we can't have you you know oh that that just means you're going to have you know violins and that sort of thing like right. but then not having too much vacuum cleaner saxophone that folks aren't really going to be accepting when you are presenting music that you know you feel belongs next to uh, or in the same venue as the symphony orchestra etc well, and, and calling yourself a professional in a field where 90% are are doing it as a hobby. Or self-taught. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, I, I think it's similar to a lot of areas where there's this strong intersection between um, being an artist and being a professional. Um, especially when that art is very functional. And and as much and I think music is actually incredibly functional, right? It's integrated in so much of everyday life. I mean, certainly there's that traditional context of going to see a concert of some sort, but, you know, um, it's in every commercial you hear, it's in the elevator, it's on the radio, it's a, it's a bed, you know, underneath talk radio, right? It, so there's, it, it's, it's an utterly functional thing in addition to being an art. And I think you see the same thing in, like, say, photography, um, where you have, especially since digital photography, you have this boom in amateur photographers, people who do it for a hobby. And I don't use the word amateur to mean not good. I mean, in, in its traditional sense, are not doing it to be paid. Yes. Um, and you have a boom in that. And then at the same time, you have people who are doing it as their job. And... You know, I think that, and there are plenty of people who say, oh, you know, I've gotten really good as an amateur. I'd really like to become a professional. And like you mentioned, in terms of being a professional musician, there's a lot of things that being a professional means that has nothing to do with the art. Right. And so as a professional photographer, it means knowing what your client wants. It means showing up on time. It means conducting yourself in a certain way. It often means dressing appropriately for the occasion that you're in. It means a lot of other things that, and it may mean that although you wanted to shoot this really artsy photo using a toy camera and whatever, that what they're looking for, you know, what the client really wants is a professional headshot to put into, in, you know, online or something. You, you, you have to find that middle ground or not take the job, right? Well, and I think it's also a field where professional, most people think of professional uh, as totally unpo- impossible and only as I'm an Aerosmith. You know, right. or I'm well, in, a musician. Yeah. <laughs> but I think even fo- in photographers, there's a similar sort of thing, yeah. right? And, and of course, again, photography is, is, is both an art and, and also it, it is utterly functional. There's photography everywhere. Um, you know, there wouldn't be there's a huge market for stock photography. So it, 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 and there's this huge gulf in between there. And often, you know, there's a rift, you know, the professionals looking down on amateurs saying, well, sure, but you know, once you, you know, you guys don't do this and similar to musicians, photographers aren't necessarily credentialed either. Right. And that, there are plenty of professional musicians who've never been to school, especially in rock and jazz and blues and and popular musics. Um, and there are plenty of photographers who've never who've never been to school for photography. Um, at the same time, there are plenty of photographers who've gone to art school or who went to even like a community college program where they teach much more about professional photography, quote unquote, commercial photography. And plenty of musicians who went to school as well. It seems to be more common in for classical musicians or traditional musicians, but they are all over the place. So I, I think you hit upon a real a tension that exists in a lot of people who are trying to do art 
um, of some sort, but recognizing that there, you know, you're you in, in this world right now, you are always bumping up against commerce. Welcome to the halfway point of episode number nine of Jenny and Paul Sellout. My name is Paul, of course, one half of the Sellout team along with Jenny Bendevento, and we're talking with Cyrus Perret, who is the man behind Fourth Grade Records. You can find his website at 4GRE.org, and that is the number 4GRE.org. And the music you hear behind me is the track Living in Kaba, played by Cyrus, live at Cobra Libros on August 15th, 2011. And of course, we'd love for you to check out our website, selloutpodcast.com. That's where you can make comments about the program and, of course, subscribe to the podcast if you uh, haven't already made that commitment. Our Twitter account is at selloutpodcast.com. And we're on Facebook. And uh, really, you should go to iTunes and leave a review or just rate us. The more you do, the more then other people can find out about the podcast and they can rate us. And it's one big, happy circle of life. And you really do want to participate in that. And of course, on Facebook, make sure to like us there, too. We, we really just want to be liked. That's, that's all we're really asking for here at the Sellout Podcast, because... What use is it to sell out if it's not to be liked? Well, as you ponder that, we will now return to our conversation with my pal Cyrus Perret. I don't necessarily want to have like books, uh, you know, take the place of my own thoughts. But I did actually just read an amazing book um, on this exact topic that you know totally set um, all of these kind of distinctions uh, in stark relief for me. Um, which is uh, uh, the name of the book is Art Worlds by um, Howard S. Becker, and it's a book about the, the sociology of art. And I mean, and it definitely talks about all of these. Differences, distinctions, um, you know, gradations of um, of participation in in the particular art world, be it you know, in music or photography or or, or painting, um, craft, etc. Would it definitely answered for me definitively mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. A lot of these kind of you know, how do I position myself, uh, or, or or how is it that folks position themselves in the particular art world that I'm looking to participate in. I wish I would have read it 10 years ago. <laughs> yeah, that sounds good. I'll have to look it up. Totally. Uh, a question I want I wanted to kind of add, uh, throw into this, because um, is that is this other half of the things that I know you've been thinking about quite a bit, and you have a Tumblr we'll link to, that you've written some about, is, you know, you... You say that you started your sort of musical interest at a time when uh, the punk ethic and aesthetic was had currency, and a lot of that currency was called DIY, right? Do it yourself. And the thing you've been talking about has been not even is not strictly do it yourself, but sort of. And I'm talking to mangle. It's more like we do it, and we do it ourselves. Is that about right, or can you can you kind of expand on that? 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, I the uh, absolutely. I think that the kind of the the, the wordplay that I was going for on on my blog was something along the lines of you know instead of DIY or do it yourself, something like do it together or DIT. Um, uh, somebody else suggested DIO or DO or do it <laughs> ourselves, which I think definitely much more rocking than, uh, <laughs> than DIT. But um, yeah, I mean, I think that uh, the definitely the most powerful message that I took from uh, punk rock was this idea of um, we are. In, this is the, the the people who are making the music or art or whatever. Like we are going to figure this out. And we are going to create our own expression in this particular art form, music or, or visual art, etc. You know, we're going to figure out a way to produce the music to produce a music, and we're going to let the parameters of that define the style. So it's not uh, they're not really starting from uh, you know the point of um, you know I want to play uh, you know a particular song or finished song or play in a particular style I'm going to learn that on my own. It's much more a matter of um, we're going to assemble the tools. We're going to uh, you know turn them on, plug them in, and how it is is going to be our aesthetic, and that's what we're going to work with. And that, to me, seemed so powerful. Um, I, I didn't even really start to understand that uh, there was a real creative kind of stop for the punk movement kind of after that point. Um, that it became about, um, you know, reproducing those particular sounds in that particular way over and over and over again. That there was not, not really a progression beyond that into, I don't know, anything else that could have happened musically beyond that point but it's still super powerful the idea that you know I you know I don't even I don't even I don't even have a guitar like what, what if I wanted to I, I could maybe use my voice or I could assemble um, you know find things that are, are in my possession that have some sort of, of sound and explore that and build a, a band or ensemble or performance around that um, I mean that was a super powerful idea um, but I'm now to kind of come back to this idea of, of doing it together, I think that when you're pursuing something in this sort of um, exploratory step-by-step way, um, if other folks aren't involved with your exploration, it can become very difficult, I think, to kind of step back through that and then you know, meet them where they're at and lead them through whatever process that you had gone through. I think that you know, it may be much more... Um, powerful to kind of go through that process um, not in a vacuum, not alone necessarily um, and you know, and that the results that may come from that could be much more um, I don't know, cohesive or lasting or, or yeah, that kind of a thing So, yeah, I mean so what you're saying is that is that even that exploration is together. So it's not, oh, we're going to start a punk band because we punk means to us the Buzzcocks, uh, you know, in 1978. Um, but rather, we're going to get together and we're going to figure out what it is the two, three, four, five, ten of us can do together. Right. So right. ska band. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I've been in ska bands. Actually, that's not that far off. Is that Honestly, where the vacuum not... and the saxophone came in? No, I mean that. That was. I mean that was. That was in grad school. <laughs> the, the the saxophone and the vacuum was grad school. Mm-hmm. But no, I mean the the idea of a ska band. I mean with all of its attendant kind of you know opportunities for ridicule. Um, <laughs> I mean, no, but it, it, the 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 situation in my high school was such that you know once we started a group that was open to having instruments other than just guitar, bass, and drums in it. The, I mean, basically the entire um, school band wanted to be in the group. Mm-hmm. They all learned the songs on their own, um, the entire band. And, I mean, there were, e- there were even kind of the neighboring bands, uh, neighboring school bands, so I'm talking, you know, like the brass and sort of uh, ensemble in like a high school. They would also have some of the people in those schools would also be aware of and have learned our songs. And this was a super powerful idea for, you know, 15, 16, 17-year-olds. The fact that um, you, know, you could come up with some, uh, I don't know, dippy-doo song, like in some kid's basement, and then, you know, 100 people would learn it, let alone just come and see it. And then when you have, like, 10, 12, 16 people in an ensemble, I mean, even if each of those people brings two or three or four people, you have a real show, especially if it's happening in a basement. I mean, all of the calculus of the ska band in a high school, you know, it's golden. You're, it's a great party every time. Mm-hmm. The music is, I mean, and, and this is really, this is really kind of how I've learned to kind of look back on some of these musical experiences that I've had is, yes, we were playing ska music and, and you know, with songs like, you know, Let's Go Bowling or Math Team Bus or, I don't know, you know, any sort of obnoxious uh, teenagery that you could come up with and, and, and fit into kind of a, you know, music that's somewhere in between polka and, um, I don't know, reggae, neither of which were cool uh, you know, at the time, at least in my uh, high school experience. But, I mean, you have all these people who are together. I mean, and for some of them, that was their, that was their, there was no way the trombonist was going to ever get to go and play, like, with punk bands at a show. You know, that was their in. Um, I, there was a lot more power there than I knew at the time. I have a new job prospect for you. You go from town to town, like the Henry Hill, and you create a ska band in all high schools. <laughs> you bring it back. Um, I guess it's funny because I, you're in a profession where I feel like people think it's so inaccessible to be a professional in that field, yet exactly what you're saying is, I mean, if I get it right, is the opposite sort of like being, like noodling, The you don't have to be the best, you don't have to be super educated about it is the way to get into it is that uh, yes a and it, i mean it's it's also the way to survive kind of in our cultural landscape uh 21st century in this country um i mean i think that there there's a, a lot there is a super serious um undercurrent of um you know the use of music i mean and paul had mentioned earlier about the the fact that it, the prevalence of music in, in every situation that we're in all the time I mean, I think that that viewed in a different way, I mean, it it creates like, you know, an obstacle uh, to an individual self-expression or, or, you know, small group self-expression. You know, when you have um, standards that are are known to everybody and are so widespread and are being decided on by, you know, very powerful multinational corporations... um, 
I think that there need to be more voices coming from, I don't know, the professional side and saying that, you know, music is a form of power. I mean, in addition to a form of self-expression and, and actually, I, as I believe, joy, I mean, it's also a form of power. If you can make your own music, you're not going to be purchasing somebody else's. And then the person who is offering that music for sale, uh, if they, they happen to be a multinational corporation, they're not seeing the money from that. And, I mean, I think that that, that is really my job, is, is, is to say that, um, you know, not only is it, you know, your individual self-expression, noodling, ska band, or otherwise, <laughs> important to you as a person, I think that it's important to um, USA culture, um, if we want to have any say in it. So, I mean, it, what you're putting out forward then is sort of the idea that, uh, I mean, if we the more we're able to create ourselves and enjoy ourselves, the less we have to sort of be entertained. If, you know what I mean? And, and have things, you know, it, it, it sort of goes back to DIY movements in a lot of areas. The creating more, as opposed to consuming. Creating as opposed to consuming. The more I grow in my garden, uh, the less that I need to go to Safeway for. Um, it, and on and on. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I think that when you when you have a garden, I mean, you have you have a skill set. I mean, you it isn't necessarily even just that you aren't buying things. I mean, it's that you have a particular skill set. You can you can grow food, and then you know you develop another skill set you know, of how to prepare the food, um, and you learn how you like it, and you then use that's your standard of you know what you want to get at the Safeway or the co-op or in the restaurant instead of you know the thing that comes in the box that was made by some company being the standard by which you judge you know what you like the taste of or not well i think the food analogy as you're putting it i mean i think that really works well actually because i think about what what i've seen in, in my lifetime, and especially in the last 20 years, is this almost recalibration of the American palate away, f- you know, where, and, and, and for reasons that aren't always as sinister, I think, as they're made out to be, where uh, very homogenized, you know, factory manufactured food became, you know, the apotheosis became this is what is good and this is what is wholesome. In part, you know, what I think gets lost in that sometimes is the fact that there was there was a real need to feed a nation quickly in a post-war situation. Uh, now, of course, people profited greatly from it, and that started a new cycle. But, you know, usually these things are the result of impulses and fulfilling needs that, that, that are a mixture of both good and also sometimes the law of unintended consequences in addition to, to profiteering. Um, but but we've seen this recalibration back in the last 20 years of, of rediscovering uh, things that are made of whole foods, they're made of you know not not molecularized foods, not processed foods. Where I can kind of even remember as I was a kid, it was you know in the seventies, it was better if it came from a box or better if it came from from this sort of chain restaurant. It wasn't as cool and great and new and technologically superior you know that's in the 70s certainly coming off of i think the way that was stronger in the 50s and 60s and we're coming back to this idea of not only you know wholer foods but you know learning how to make it yourself again being self-sufficient in these foods um and and 
and I think you know at the top of the show I sort of said that you were an improvisational chef, and that was intended. It was a joke, but it wasn't. It wasn't a joke for real because I, I what I saw is what you're doing is you're trying to find a way to use this this good food we have and not let it go to waste, and sometimes it just requires throwing things in a pot and seeing what works. Totally, absolutely, and learning from the outcome, which I think is is the part about food that we forget about music is learning what happens when we do this thing either together or with an audience or by ourselves you're, you're not cooking smoke on the water <laughs> right no <laughs> oh, no no I'm cooking something closer to uh, ska I don't know I <laughs> ska cooking yeah metal, are you cooking metal machine music ever <laughs> No, I hope not. I hope I get all that aluminum foil out of there. <laughs> but it's rich in iron. Yeah. People say they like it just to seem cool, but nah. Lots of spinach. Lots of kale. No, it's, yeah, it's I mean, <laughs> so much kale. It's funny that you bring up metal machine music. I really only heard that for the first time uh, in the last year. And I actually, I was listening to it on the computer. And I actually, I think it sounds best when you listen to all four sides at once. Oh, sort, of, sort of like uh, Zyrica style. Exactly. I mean, you get through it four times as fast. Yeah. But there's also, I mean, the texture is much, I'm always somebody, I mean, whatever, if you want to talk about my personal taste. I mean, I'm the type of person who um, typically has the, you know, two or three radios, the television, a CD player and, on in the house, and then is playing the guitar. Um, that sort of, uh, you know, density of activity is for me and for my music is necessary in order for me to um, be able to kind of be listening and hearing the connections that are happening between all the different streams and then be able to participate as a performer within that um yeah i mean it's kind of it's kind of and paul as you can probably attest to this it's kind of the same with music yeah i'm sorry with with food yeah and then i you know i'm wanting to put the Half bottle of Tabasco or you know, <laughs> beef, the tea bags and the tea. And- That's right. Uh, yes, you like it very tannic. <laughs> well, and I was thinking that what you're describing is very Ornette Coleman. It's very free jazz in his style. It's very, um, you know, and for people who don't know, uh, free jazz, the record came out in 1962, 1960, um, in which, uh, under the tutelage of Ornette Coleman, a, a great composer and saxophonist, and basically the idea was we're all just going to play it once, and we're all going to improv it once, and it, and they really the there's not a lot of space, there's not a lot of I stop and you solo, it's everybody at once, and and uh, it's I think it's safe to say that the sort of mainstream jazz community thought it was heresy at the time and declared it as noise and not jazz or whatever, but and and of course now the style has become much more acceptable in some circles. Well, and I, I think back in the old days, that's also a respect thing, you know, like the drummer gets to do his solo, yeah, that's like right. that's a, but so we've never really uh, talked about what music you actually play. <laughs> <laughs> Can you go into that a little bit? Totally. Um, I mean, maybe it's best to start from uh, kind of just a, a list of, of the sounds that, that interest me. Um, I mean, I, I started out with kind of, you know, talking about the having everything on, all the electronics on at the same time. Um, uh, so there's, there's that uh, element um, that comes through my, in my music. 
the other element is kind of, I guess what I would consider more natural sounds, I mean, sounds that are, are closer to things like bird call or, I don't know, geese squawk, um, you know, these sort of kind of more communicative noises that are happening in nature. Um, and I'll even extend that further into, like, you know, truck exhaust, um, uh, highway, uh, subway, um, you know, there's, there's, there's a number of pieces that I'm actually, there's a series of pieces that I'm working on now that incorporate all of these sort of external sounds, um, into the soundscape. Um, and so that, that would be a second, uh, uh, layer of interest for me. And then the third, uh, has to do with, um, really bridging the gap between, uh, humans and electricity, um, you know, I'm, I'm always looking for uh, musical context where um, you know I'm interacting with a, an, an electronic instrument in some way. I'm participating as a human, um, you know, uh, interacting with this um, electricity that is, is exists in our everyday life. We're surrounded by it um, in land, you know, in land and on air. It's it's in the air now. I mean, that's how I'm communicating with with you all. Um, I mean, and, and that to me, I, I can't even really imagine how many streams are occurring um, simultaneously around me at this very moment. I would love to be able to do something close to hear them. I mean, they wouldn't be in the range that I could hear them, but that that would be very fascinating to me. Um, but so those three areas are, are kind of my musical interests. Now, the music that comes out of those interests um, has been... Um, you know, very dense, very distorted, um, kind of uh, uh, 12-string guitar. And I, I mean, and I actually only use nine of the 12 strings. We can get into that later <laughs> if, if time is, you know, permitting. Um, but really, I mean, the guitar as a bee's hive, um, the guitar as, um, you know, a, a busy construction site, um, you know, I, I a lot of my compositions I notate in not necessarily in pitch or rhythm or even timbre, but in um, events per second. So like a density of events per second, 10, 15, 20, 30 notes per second. And for me, at that point when the, the, the music is that dense, the sound is that dense, I as a player and, and folks who are who are listening to this music are no longer able to identify the original chain, the original musical impulse that, that, that brought the sound about. And then they are kind of cast out in their own, you know, in their own world. And they are able to make musical connections as they're happening. I mean, as, as do I, as a performer, listening while playing, I'm making these musical connections as I'm within this kind of sea of sound. Um, being in that place for me, I mean, really, as as a person, is where I feel the most the most like a person. Um, I, I've definitely had people uh, react uh, differently than that <laughs> when when they've been in that situation. Uh, again, we can get into that more later too. So that that's kind of the electric guitar side of things. Um, you know, I, I definitely feel like I fit in a, in a free jazz milieu when I'm performing on the saxophone. Um, I mean, this is, a, you want to talk about somebody coming into the craft uh, class wanting to learn how to, you know, make the skirt. Uh, I 
picked up the saxophone wanting to play, you know, learn how to play free jazz. And, I mean, the record and the style. And figured out how to do that relatively quickly. And then from that moment on, I've, you know, found that myself in these kind of discussions with people over and over again um, about, you know, well, where are your chops? Where's your dues? Where's your, you know, your, how, how, how can you, you know, be playing this and not able to demonstrate, you know, whatever music theory or music history or whatever that, you know, I, I as a, another saxophone player or another jazz player can demonstrate to you. Um, so, you know, that's, that's that scene. It's sounded and, like when Ornette picked up the cornet. <laughs> Maybe, or violin. And when he picked up the violin, yeah, that's right. Yeah. A saxophone player who just suddenly started playing violin, you know, and, <laughs> and had just barely picked it up and, and brought it into that context. I think, you know, it's a, it's a similar sort of thing. Well, well I, I mean... Go ahead. I'm sorry, I was just going to say, you know, that um, what led me to, to play the saxophone was I was in grad school, I was studying music composition, and I was writing these works for instruments that I just had no idea what they could do or how they were played. And so I, I was conversing with my, you know, the players and the other students and, and I was asking them, like, what, you know, what, what goes into this? What's it about? Like, how do you do it? And then at a certain point, you know, from having these conversations, I said to myself, well, I just need to learn. I need to try. I need to have that experience of what it's like to play this instrument, even in a rudimentary, you know, manner. Um, in order to be able to ask somebody to do something musically on, on, on that sort of instrument, I just I didn't feel like I had the credibility to ask somebody to do you know, something on, on an instrument if I had no clue what it was even capable of. And so, um, you know, the, the alto saxophone was recommended to me by some of my students. And they, you know, I, as soon as I picked it up, I found a voice through it that was really close to, to screaming. And, you know, I've been really enchanted by that ever since. I mean, the ability to scream through an instrument like that. I mean, the saxophone is an instrument of war to begin with. I mean, it was developed to, to be in military bands. Um, and so, you know, to kind of explore that part of myself through this instrument is really what's informed my playing. And it makes it really difficult for me to, you know, do chops or licks or, I don't know, <laughs> whatever, <laughs> whatever sort of thing that might be expected, you know, in in a jazz scenario. Well, exactly what we were talking about earlier, that people are frightened that, to play anything because they're going to be asked for those chops or they're going to be asked to play that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. I think, I mean, I think that that's, that's, that's true. I mean, it, it happens all the time. Um, I mean, I think that um, I used to have a much better, I can tell a small anecdote, I used to have a much better kind of reaction um, uh, to that sort of a scenario. I mean, there was... I, there was always, um, I don't know, I was always playing my guitar through something strange. I mean, even even at 14, 15, like, at some point, like, I had the guitar running through, like, a cellular telephone. I don't even remember. And people would always come up to me afterwards, and they would want, you know, to critique, um, <laughs> not even the music, but the particular equipment that I was using. And with the same similar sort of intention of, like, marking my, you know, I don't know, potential outside, you know, being outside of what was the, the accepted standards for, for you know, the instrument. And I was just told him to fuck off. 
<laughs> but I mean, now you that you're really a professional. <laughs> you can't really do that in polite company now. I mean, you know, although maybe it'd be worth trying. I mean, I, I feel like anybody who comes up to you after you've done a performance um, and says something, you know, to that nature of, you know, well, you know, but can you do chops? I mean, I think that the adequate response to that is fuck off. Well, because I think what Especially that person, for, yeah, what that person is saying is really, I'm jealous. That ought to be me up there instead of you, because I'm better than you. And so, how the hell do you get to be up there and not me? Well, and I'm thinking of it as the analog of like my my kid could paint that right. that whole of modern art. Totally. I mean, I think I mean. Oh my god! I wish I had the Picasso quote together. There's like a Picasso quote that's something like, "You have to spend your entire life." learning how to paint in order to forget it and paint like a kid. Yeah. I mean, that's really like the thing that gets to us, the thing in art, any sort of art, that gets through to us is that childlike innocence or joy. I mean, it's that pure expression that we have to learn either to cultivate or to maintain, you know, through, and you know, carry it with us through all of the hazards of you know, becoming an adult. And, I mean, I think that that it's telling, I mean, that it, it, it says something important that, like, you know, my kid could do that. It's like, yeah, like, that's a similar wave. I would venture to say that that's a similar wavelength that an artist is trying to tap into. I think that's a really good place for us to wrap up this part of the well, conversation. I'll say that Dolly put, Parton puts it this way. It, it takes a lot of money to look this cheap. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, uh, thank you, Cyrus. I do, uh, before we wrap up here, we have our favorite things. Um, yeah. And this is just your favorite thing of the moment. So uh, perhaps, Cyrus, you have something to share? Yes, absolutely. Well, I mean, it, I thought about this for a little while, and it's definitely... It's my favorite thing of the moment. I mean, I mentioned this earlier. It's definitely the blender. <laughs> blender. I mean, the blender is an is an incredible um, device. I mean, a, 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 a spinning motor, you know, with four sharpened blades, you know, chewing through the food. It's, it's just so incredible to watch. I mean, you can put any sort of thing in a, any sort of combination of foods in a blender. I mean, like I was blending um, melons earlier in the week. And, you know, I just, I included most of the rind. I mean, and this is the part of the, the fruit that I would never eat because it would, it would just be too bitter. I mean, even for me, it would be too bitter. But I just threw it all in there. And through this, you know, democratizing process of the blender, all of the flavors were, were, were evened out. And it, it was such a wonderful color. And then the sound on top of that. I mean, all of these kind of rich upper partials and harmonics uh, it's a really dense kind of bass note and tone because I had it on our particular counter. I mean, it was just such a wonderful uh, experience. I didn't even mind having to clean it, which is really the thing that kind of <laughs> had been turned off of blenders for years and years. Why do I want to like make a mess inside some other appliance that I have to then clean up? Well, you stick some water and soap and run the blender. That helps a lot. Yes, I never knew you could do that. <laughs> and even some ice. Even some really ice. Wanna... If you need to really uh, need something to. Uh... Do you have a particular blender you recommend? I, I don't Just know. I can run and, and see the what the brand is. I think it's an Oster or maybe no. It's, it's from an old school Oster. I think Ron. you should get a whole. A bunch of different ones, and then a comment on their audio quality. <laughs> yeah, no, that would be. I think that's a great idea. I mean, that's the sort of thing that your your Blender cell phone Symphony. Absolutely, great. Yeah. 
blenders. Uh, and, and Jenny, what is uh, what is your favorite thing? Probably as much as people like listening to blenders, my uh, recommendation this week is, of course, canonical to what I do in my off time, which is yesterday the new Insane Clown Posse album came out, and it's called The Mighty Death Pop. And it, by, by an album, I mean four albums. So each one is, it, it, depending on which one you get, it's packaged with a different um, accompanying album. Uh, Red Pop, Black Pop, and White Pop, I believe, are their alternate names. One is just covers, which is great. It has um, it features the Ghetto Boys and Color Me Bad and lots of other people you wouldn't expect on, a, on a, an ICP album. And I, I don't... I don't expect most people to want to listen to this, but I feel like if you enjoy 80s or 90s hip-hop and you can get over the fact of hating the Insane Clown Posse, it's a super fun album. It's really funny. There's hip-hop skits, which I feel like if you're an old-time hip-hop fan that just doesn't exist it's anymore. Like, like a Far Side record? Yeah, I mean, it's great. And it's really positive. Like, there's all these, like, it, it's it's their return to the Dark Carnival, which is their mythology. So it is very circusy. I loved it. I thought it was really great. All right, the, uh, and and might be enjoyed simultaneously with a blender. Sure, yeah, you could make a, a drink while listening to Ghetto Rainbows. Exactly. I highly suggest it. And oh, so the cover includes includes Jump Around, which if you are awesome, <laughs> and um, I mean, it just got tons of awesome covers. It'll be the uh, the have. Oster remix. Yeah, the Oster Hamilton Beach remix. Shout. <laughs> Shout, as in like tears for fears. Yeah, they do a cover. Come on, you know you want okay. to listen to that. Okay, well, all right. So we have uh, what is the name of the new uh, album again? The Mighty Death Pop. The Mighty Death Pop, and then Red Pop, of course, is a, a flavor of a fago. fago. Yes, yeah, hence okay. why there's Black Pop and White Pop too. Got it. Yeah. Um, my favorite thing this week is an album. Uh, it's also music, as it turns out, called The Cherry Thing, and this is Nina Cherry with a uh, Norwegian uh, free jazz outfit known as uh the thing since the cherry thing um it's not really free jazz it's definitely uh you know actual composed songs and compositions uh most people will may remember nina cherry from the song buffalo stance which was a (laughs) big pop hit in 1989 you do remember this i do i do sorry it's going Uh, nina is the daughter of don cherry who was a collaborator with uh ornette coleman in free jazz he was a uh, trumpet player primarily and really one of the uh, forefathers of what we would call world music or especially world fusion music uh we brought a lot of different african elements in particular to jazz in the 70s um nina is his daughter and so she's been an active musician in the interim although that's her only pop hit and it's um it's really good it, she definitely brings kind of a, a modern r&b uh, soul kind of element to it. Um, I mean, not, I would say, in the style of like a Macy Gray, although her voice isn't remotely the same. Um, and uh, the thing, you know, it, they're a jazz combo. Um, one one member of the thing, this guy, uh, Paul Neeson Love, he plays Chicago fairly frequently because he's friends with Ken Vandermark, a Chicago jazz scene. Um, uh, he's sort of like a center of a, of the improvisation scene in a lot of ways, and he brings them over all the time. Um, but it's if if you ever heard of the band Morphine um, from the early '90s um, into late '90s, which featured a baritone sax, two string bass, and drums, um, it's got a lot of that kind of feel. There's a there's a there's a backbone to it, but it feels it feels like. Uh, 
kind of like what what maybe a Tom Waits album really should be, as opposed to what a Tom Waits album actually is. So that's the Cherry Thing uh, with Nina Cherry and the Thing, and I can I can recommend that highly. And 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 I I have to admit that I heard it was coming out, and then I was able to listen to it at NPR Music before it came out, which just means that I'm old and middle class. <laughs> So those are our things. All right. Well, Cyrus, I hope this was fun for you. It was fun for us. Definitely. Absolutely. I want to thank both of you so much for inviting me to come on. And really, I mean, anytime I get a chance to speak about music, it's a wonderful day. But this was particularly enjoyable. And I thank you both for, you know, uh, for the opportunity. Yeah, well, and thank you for joining us. And we perhaps we'll have a chance to circle back around and we can take up some of the things we weren't able to get to since... uh, we have no. We don't intend to stop. No. Okay. All right. Well, thank you, Cyrus. <laughs> wow, there's already noise going on. <laughs> That's great. I believe. By the way, I believe this is. Is this number nine? Number nine. Number nine. Number nine. Number How nine. Appropriate. Uh, and thank you, Jenny. Thank you, Paul. Adios. <laughs>